Well, that's something, that last phrase, realizing that we don't deserve to be near the cross at all. Well, what a blessing. Boy, that the Lord would include us and allow us to have part in that. That's just amazing, isn't it? It really is. Just simply amazing. Well, turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, I want to begin kind of a mini-series on Sunday night just for the finishing up this month. And then, I think next uh, month, I'm going to start on some of those messages I was telling you about that I'm going to work on kind of family oriented kind of not just family oriented but just uh, things I think that'll be helpful like I say um, um, anyway you I told you about it before we're not going to waste time talking about it Ephesians chapter 2 so we'll start some of those on in the month of September and we'll go through that and again in September we have our uh, we, and actually, we're going to be moving some things around in our calendar. There's so many things going on in the month of September this year. Of course, uh, at the end of August, we have this missions, uh, this, uh, missions um, uh, uh, trip that's taking place, and we're moving on into September, and we have just a number of things happening, and I don't know, it's just crazy. So we're trying to we're rearranging our schedule a little bit so that we, our promotion will be in a place where we can enjoy it, where we can get accomplish something. We'll be giving you more information about some of those things, but our schedule is a little bit different. Uh, to be frank with you, next year we're going to do a couple of things in our schedule. We're going to drop everything out the schedule. Everything's going away, and then I'm going to place certain things in the schedule again. We've kind of letting things get cluttered around here. Uh, you get too much going on. Certain things can't be emphasized the way they need to be. And so, you know, we're going to kind of clear the schedule again, drop this in, drop that in, drop this in, major church functions. We're going to go back and uh, we want to do a tent meeting again next year. And uh, since we'll be on our property, things like that, and we want to work out some of those things, those things have to get dropped in the schedule first so that nothing else conflicts with that, you know. So there are certain church priorities that take precedence over other priorities, you know. Some of our youth stuff and some of our these missions trips, things like that, have to be plugged in after we get the church calendar in place. And those are the kind of things you have to think about long ahead of time or you end up finding yourself running up against a wall going, man, where can we fit the things that are important in? Well, that becomes a problem. So you have to prioritize. Just like we do in our life, the church is a big home, and it has to be, things have to be prioritized. Just like church is a priority for you and your life and your family, well, church has to become a priority on the church calendar. The church is first, and then all that other stuff gets plugged in that's going to help encourage and build up the church members, okay? So the church itself. So a big thing like a, a big... Uh, um, Tent meeting is huge, and it's going to take effort on so many parts of so many people, and uh, we don't want that to be lost because, well, somebody's coming back on Saturday, and it kicks off on Sunday, so they didn't have a chance to pray about it. They didn't have a chance to be engaged in the process of preparation, or they're leaving the day before it ends because they're heading out for a, a missions trip or something. No, we don't want that kind of stuff happening. We want to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. We keep things focused. So, again, we're going to be putting... Um, <clears throat> you know, things like the, I'm, I'm excited about that uh, tent meeting. And uh, we're going to get a tent meeting back on, and we're going to work hard to make that successful again. 
And uh, don't ask me who's going to be there. I don't know because we're looking at one year out, not even a year out. So we'll see what the schedule looks like. But uh, we're, we're hoping to bring in somebody, obviously, that will really get the job done. Who knows? I don't know if it will be Brother Hamblin again or if it will be another preacher. We'll see where that goes. But, uh, you know, a lot of that depends on schedules and things like that. But uh, we're going to have a good time. And it will be a week long again. It'll be, this time it's going to be from Sunday to Sunday. Um, I want to run it a whole week. Um, I'll probably run it all week long. And uh, we'll go from there and see how that turns out. So uh, that way we can build on it. Now, the preacher might not be able to be with us on a Sunday, you know, and another Sunday. I don't know. It depends on their schedule a little bit. We'll see where that goes because that's a lot to ask some of these guys to give up two full Sundays. You know, you start uh, paying them and uh, giving them love offerings and stuff. That gets very, very expensive. And uh, Sundays are when they make their bread and butter, so to speak, if I could say it that way. I mean, they, they make their living preaching the gospel. And so, you know, we want to pay them well, and uh, we want to try to take good care of them. One of the reasons why Brother uh, Hamblin likes coming back to Community Baptist Temple is because we've always taken care of Brother Hamblin. He knows when he comes here, he's not going to go hungry, nor is his family. He knows that, and we want him to know that. And uh, so that's important, you know, and you have been faithful to give well when he comes. And as a church, we often throw a lot more in just to make it very, very tempting for him to say, I'm canceling that church and going to that one, uh, you know, if I could say it that way. You know, I, I know that's not why he does it exactly. He loves being with our church because he loves the people and the spirit here. But it doesn't hurt, okay? That doesn't hurt, okay? All right, I shouldn't probably say it because he's not nearly as carnal as I probably think he is. But he is my dear friend. But anyway... <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, great passage, and we're going to move along quickly tonight. Again, I um, uh, want to leave time for our meeting this evening. We want to certainly be able to uh, maybe field a few questions along the way tonight, too, if necessary. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. The Bible says that at that time you were without Christ, <clears throat> being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, again, we read that at one point, at one place in our life, we were without Christ. And being without Christ, we were not privy to the many blessings and the many promises that God had for His people. And without Him... Uh, it says here, we had no hope and we're without God in the world. So what we're saying is, is if a man or a woman does not have Christ in their life, if God is not in their heart, then in reality, they are without hope. Now, I want you to think about that with me for just a moment. Because we look at things so much differently, don't we? If, if a, a couple would walk in the door of our church today, six foot three, tall, muscular, beautiful suit, an Armani suit on, sharp looking guy, beautiful wife on his arm, and he says, I own a business and we make a half a million a year, and we've got this wonderful car and have a place at the beach that we go to that we own, and where our children are just you know, wonderful and everything's going well. They're, they're being educated. I mean, just every need is being met. 
I'm not, I'm not joking. The majority of folks in this room would go, boy, that's what I want to be. But you want to know something? We haven't even, even identified whether or not they have any spirituality at all here yet. But because we see what we want in life and what we want to become, that's it right there. I mean, he was the quarterback on his high school team and even in college. And she was the head cheerleader. Wow. I wish that was my story. Boy, I wish I could have that. There's not one shred of evidence yet that they're even saved. But if we're not careful, we're already envying them. Boy, I wish my wife looked like that. Wish my husband looked like that. I wish we had that bank account. I wish we could afford cars like that. I wish we could do the things they probably get to do. Should I didn't have to worry about my bills. Honestly, folks, the Bible says that if they don't have Christ living in their heart, no matter how successful they may seem to our eyes today, they are without hope in this world. Because this is all they have. It's it. We know how money can take wing and fly away. We know how health can immediately turn. And what stands before us at the epitome of health and looks can ultimately be in a wheelchair. Or possibly marred in an accident. Just like that. And what do they have then? There wouldn't be one thing you would want that they had if that were the case now. See, as believers, we have hope in this world. We have hope not only in this life, but we have hope in the next life. There's nothing wrong with looking nice. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with being, you know, just the... BMOC, big man on campus, it's wonderful, I promise you. <laughs> okay, so maybe you don't envy me and my wife. I understand that, but I just thought I'd break the ice here because it's getting a little heavy. <clears throat> so, no hope in this world, no hope in this life without God, without God. We are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. We're not only with God, but we are in Him. The Bible says, At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. John 14, 20. And over the next couple of weeks, I want to consider three things that provide blessing and yield hope to us as believers. See, we have hope. The world doesn't. We have hope. You say, man, my life just isn't what I wanted it to be. It didn't, and it's not turning out like I thought it would. Let me tell you, you have hope, though, because you have Christ. And I want to share three thoughts over these next few weeks. Number one, I want to talk to you about the faithful hand of God. Boy, that brings us hope. God is faithful. I want to talk about that tonight for just a few minutes. That's a wonderful reality as a believer today. That God is faithful. His hand is sure. 
So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us in these next few minutes. Be glorified in this time. May our hearts be stirred. And, Father, may we be more confident than ever that, Father, you are faithful. Lord, we'll thank you and praise you, Father, as you meet needs in our life tonight. In Christ's name, amen. A farmer, he went to his bank and he went to talk to his banker and he announced that he had some good news and he had some bad news for the banker. First, he said, let me give you the bad news. Well, the farmer said, I, I can't pay my mortgage payments. You know, in that crop loan that I took out that, that that's, uh, I taken out almost 10 years ago and I, st- I still can't pay it off. Not only that, but I won't be able to pay you that couple hundred of thousand that I've just been outstanding on my tractors and other equipment either. So I'm going to just have to give up the farm, turn it over to you for whatever you can salvage it for. <coughs> Silence just filled the room for a minute, and then the banker said, well, what's the good news? He said, well, the good news is that I'm going to go keep on banking with you. I'm still going to bank with you. And some of you aren't laughing a whole lot, but let me tell you something. <coughs> We're a lot like the farmer. I mean, we're a lot like the farmer when it comes to God in our lives. You know, let's, say, let's just be honest. We draw a lot more out from heaven than we ever pay back. I mean, we, we, we better be thankful to God that he continues to give and that he's still faithful over and over and over again. We serve a faithful creator. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, Wherefore, let him that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. In the midst of those difficult times, those hard times, we remember the faithfulness of our God who created us and allowed this in our life. Revelation 19, 11, For I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful. Faithful. And true. Wow, that's, that's amazing. We serve a faithful God. He is faithful in keeping His word. That's the first thing. Aren't you glad that God keeps His word? Turn, if you would, over to Psalm 119, verse 86. While you're turning there, let me read Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. He's the faithful God and He keepeth covenant. Notice in Psalm 119, verse 86, all thy commandments are what? Faithful. They persecute me wrongly. Help thou me. All thy commandments are faithful. God keeps His word. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. You know, there's times that you're tempted, and I'm tempted, I'm sure, to second-guess the faithfulness of God. Man, when you get in the heat of the battle, when, when it seems that the burdens of life are so overwhelming, you can begin, if you're not careful, to feel as though God is no longer faithful. And someone says, I've never felt that way. 
I am thankful to hear that, but may I say that I, myself, in my life, have come to places at some point in the past where I started wondering, where is God? What is going on? Now, I hope you never get there. But boy, the devil was on my back, or probably one of his demons, because I'm certainly not a big enough fish to bother Satan. But one of his demons was on my back saying, man, where is that God that's supposed to meet your need? Where is that God that's supposed to care about you? Boy, I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I may have just turned tail and ran. Revelation 1 verse 5, turn there, would you please? Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. talking about the faithful hand of God and we're saying that he is faithful to keep his word in Revelation 1 5 as from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood notice from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness he's his word I mean he is true to his word he is faithful to keep His word. Roger Sims, a young man, was hitchhiking his way home. And he'll never forget the date. It was May the 7th. And his heavy suitcase made him so tired and so wore out. As a matter of fact, as as well, he was anxious. He was anxious to take off that army uniform for the last time and never have to put it on again. He just kind of flashed the hitchhiking sign to an oncoming car and He kind of lost hope when he saw it was a black, sleek black Cadillac. He just assumed the guy would just continue to drive by. Next thing he knows, that black Cadillac pulled over to the side of the road, and the door popped open. So Roger, he he grabbed his suitcase stuff. He ran on up there, and he opened the back door, threw his suitcase in, jumped in the front seat. He said, how you doing? He says, I'm Roger. And the gentleman just said, well, he said, said, you going home for keeps, young man? He said, sure am. Well, you're in luck if you're going to Chicago. He said, well, I'm not going quite that far, sir, but you live in Chicago? He said, yep, I'm a businessman there. My name's Hanover. After talking about a number of things along the way, hour after hour making his way home, Roger, being a Christian, started feeling that tug on his heart to witness to this Mr. Hanover, a sharp man in his 50s. Realizing that he's only about a half hour away from home, he finally leaped into that water and said, Listen, uh, listen, Mr. Hanover, um, I'm a Christian. I'm just wondering if you've ever thought much about eternity. Mr. Hanover said, Well, I, I don't know if I thought as much as I should about it, but I have thought about it some. He said, Well, Mr. Hanover... Do you know for sure heaven's your home? And before it was over with, Mr. Hanover was allowing him to tell him about the gospel, about how Jesus Christ went to Calvary and how he shed his precious blood and gave his body on that cross to ultimately pay the sin of the world. And there he was buried and he rose again the third day. And so Roger at one point says, Mr. Hanover, I'm wondering, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? 
And to his astonishment, to his amazement, Roger, uh, Mr. Hanover took that Cadillac and pulled over to the side of the road. <laughs> Roger thought to himself, Man, he's probably upset that I witnessed to him. He probably, he may even think somehow that I've been a little too pushy. He's probably going to tell me to get out and find another ride. But no, to his amazement, once again, Mr. Hanover said, Yes, I want to trust Christ as my Savior. And he bowed his head and he received Christ. And there he looked at Roger and he said, This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Five years went by. Roger's married now and he has two children and a business of his own. And he's going to be making a business trip to Chicago just a couple of hours down the road. And as he got his suitcase out and as he began to pack, a little card fell out of that suitcase. And it had Mr. Hanover's name on it and Hanover Enterprises written on it. And he thought to himself, you know, I'm going to visit old Mr. Hanover, see how he's doing. So when he arrived in Chicago, he looked up Mr. Hanover and Hanover Enterprises. As he entered this building, he was received by a receptionist that told him it would be impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but he could see Mrs. Hanover. He was kind of confused about all of that mess, but he thought, well, what's the difference? I've traveled all this way. I might as well just go on in. And it was a lovely office. When he got into that office, he was confronted or faced with a keen-eyed woman in her 50s. She extended her hand and she said, Did you, you knew my husband? He said, well, ma'am, he gave me a ride when I was hitchhiking coming home from the war. Can you tell me when that was, young man? Well, it was May the 7th, five years ago. It was the very day I was discharged from the army, as a matter of fact, ma'am. Anything special about that day? Roger hesitated and he didn't know whether he should tell her about his encounter. But he thought, you know what? Why not? It's a great day on my calendar and I hope it was a great day on his. She said, well, Mr. Hanover and I talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when it was all done, he pulled over to the side of the road and he wept against that steering wheel and he gave his life to Jesus Christ that day without even a moment's notice, Mrs. Hanover began to sob and just broke out, he and heaving cry, just crying out, bursting into tears. After a few moments, she kind of gathered herself a little bit and she cried, said, I've prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I believe God would save him. And Roger said, well, where is your husband, Mrs. Hanover? She said, he's dead. She fought through the tears struggling with the words, and she said, he was in a car crash after he let you out of that car. He never got home. You see, she said, I thought God had not kept his promise. And there she continued to sob uncontrollably, and she said, I stopped living for God five years ago because I thought he hadn't kept his word. Sadly enough, Mrs. Hanover wouldn't be the first Christian, nor will she be the last, that will stop serving the Master because she somehow believed or felt that she had been robbed of the promises of God, that God had not kept His Word. 
But God is faithful. And the Bible says in Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men can slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord Jesus Christ is faithful to His word. And if He made a promise in that book, if He shared His word with us, if He made it clear to us, then God is going to keep His promises. He's faithful to His word. But number two, He's faithful to provide escape. You know, let's face it, you and I are confronted with some real battles along the way in life. I mean battles. I mean, just this last year or two, I have walked uh, with some of you families through some horrible circumstances, very difficult times. But God is faithful to deliver us. And you know, many times we face difficulties because even of temptation, struggles in our own personal lives, those battles we face inside, the devil's tapping on one shoulder and the Holy Ghost is tapping on the other, saying, you know, go ahead and do this or think this or look at that or go here or do that. And on the other hand, the Lord's going, no, surrender to me, surrender to me, submit to me, yield to me, give me your life. Boy, there's a battle taking place. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, turn there if you would, please. Some of you may have it memorized. Some of you young men need to memorize this. Some of us older men need to memorize this if we don't have it memorized already. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. <clears throat> there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. Emphasis added by me. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Let me just say, when we consider that escape route, it's usually not right at the point of total failure and brokenness. What I mean by that is, we don't put ourselves in a position that we've already passed the door. We don't already, we don't, we, most of the time we have the door appears long before we start looking for an escape. The Bible says abstain from all appearance of evil. The Bible says to, to um, um, put ye on the Lord Jesus. Let's see, it says, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. But often we find ourselves going headlong into sin and temptation, or into temptation, and then we look for the escape. May I say the escape hatch was back there. God has described where it is even. Tells us how to avoid that. So he does offer the escape. I just want to encourage you, and I want to try to exhort you to look for the escape long before you end up in a position where you feel there's no way out. We get into debt. I mean, so heavy that we, we begin to consider missing church to pay our bills. Stop tithing and giving as God commands. And we'll say things like, well, my testimony before the world's more important than my tithes and offerings. 
you know what the problem is? The escape was back here. The Bible said, oh, no man, anything but to love him. And we're looking for the escape when we're already buried 10 feet deep in debt. You know what the escape is then? Be faithful to obey the Lord's word still. Yeah, work 16, 18 hours a day if you have to. Stop spending money anywhere and everywhere you can, but do not steal, do not rob God. That's not the answer, my friend. That's not it. Sell everything that is not tied down. Get rid of that big old house. Get rid of that nice car. Get rid of those payments. Do whatever you got to do, but do not rob God. That's not the answer. I need an escape. Well, don't rob God to do the escape. He gave it to you way back here, but you just didn't obey God's word. Someone says, yeah, I know, I messed up. Good, you at least recognize it. Now confess it as sin, repent of it, and now talk to your pastor or somebody that can maybe give you some pointers. But here's the bottom line. Nothing's easy now. Well, I, well, I can't give up my house. I mean, what would I do? I've got to live somewhere. Uh, that's the point. You can live somewhere, but it won't be where you want to probably. But you're going to have to do something. You want to get out of debt and want to get rid of that burden. Do you know that more marriages break up because of finances than any other thing? It puts pressure on a family. It puts pressure on a home. I want you to know God is faithful. And God is faithful to provide an escape. But many times we pass up the escape route because we haven't been obedient to His Word. Temptation is something that we... No one is wrong for being tempted. No one's wrong. Every one of us will be tempted. Even you may be being tempted right now to think something or to, to be in the wrong place when you should be focused here, be tempted to be thinking about what you're going to do later this evening or tempted to draw your, your you know, to be distracted. That's, that stuff happens. But what we do with temptation at that moment determines the success of our Christian life. The escape route is usually at the point of temptation, not at the point of being buried with sin. Do you get what I'm saying? He says, he says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. It's common for us to be tempted. Everybody is. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. There's not one temptation that you can't overcome with God's help because he gives you what? An escape. You know where the escape's found? In the word of God. How you handle the temptation is the escape. It's not waiting till you're buried in sin and then going, God, deliver me out of the sin or the consequences of it. It's too late now. You've got to pay the price. So the devil's going to tempt us in so many ways. And God will deliver if we will be obedient to his word. If we'll allow his word to speak and allow his word to be true in our life. There's not one dart that Satan can throw at us that God doesn't have the shield to defend it. When David sinned, the way of escape was when he was tempted, not at another point. He should have dealt with it then. That's where the escape route was. Flee. Flee, David. There's the escape that God provided Flee, run from it. Did he run from it? No. So what did he get buried in? Sin. Guess what? He ain't escaping from the consequences. 
And if you're praying that God will, it, well, God didn't give me an escape from the consequences of my sin. We're still in debt. Our relationship's still messed up. Our marriage is still on the rocks. Our children are still going astray. May I say, friend, that probably there was an escape way back there before you were tempted to allow it to go so far. Be careful. It's temptation that he gives you the escape from, not the consequences of sin. Does that make sense? That's what the Bible teaches us, I believe. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape. He'll help you to escape that temptation. That's what he helps us to escape from. Not the consequences of the sin. We're going to pay that. And sometimes God in his mercy will even alleviate that or lift that burden. I, I know supernaturally he can, he can fix those things. I understand that. But it is the temptation that's being referred to here. And God is faithful to do that. You know, <clears throat> God cares so much for you and I that even when we doubt His care, His love abounds in our life. Now, I, I read a story about Corey Ten Boom, and I love Corey Ten Boom's story. I don't know if you've ever read The Hiding Place or not, but I, it is, it is must, a must-read. If you've never read Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place, you need to read it. You'll come away with a much greater appreciation for, for just how, how much... Well, anyway, let me just tell you the story, and you'll see where I'm going with this. Corey Ten Boom is a Holocaust survivor. And uh, she said, often I've heard people say, how good God is. We prayed that it would not rain for our church picnic and look at the lovely weather. Yes, God is good when he sends good weather. But God was also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged there, she says. Everything around us was dark and there was no darkness and there was darkness in my heart. I remember telling Betsy that I thought God had, for, had forgotten us. Betsy said, no, Corey, he's not forgotten us. Remember his word. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Corey concluded, there is an ocean of God's love available. There is plenty for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt that victorious love, whatever the circumstances. I couldn't believe it. When you read things like this and you see this heart, but, you know, Corey Tembun will tell you, Betsy was definitely the most, more spiritual sister. She wasn't even on the same plane, she says. She was as though Betsy walked with God. And may I say, we all ought to walk with God. But Betsy says to her, hey, listen, God's not forgotten us here. And Corey says, God was also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. Corey, you having problems with your finances? It's uh, kind of difficult to do all the traveling that you're supposed to do. You, you, you know, you're having trouble with, with maybe a relationship with someone in your life. Oh, Corey, God's not very good to you. And she says, are you kidding me? God was good to me when Betsy was dying in a concentration camp. And you're going to tell me God's not good just because I'm having a difficult time paying my bills?
But when you start putting things in perspective, you realize that God is pretty good. He's real good. He is faithful to provide, to provide an escape even in the midst of temptation, in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of troublesome times. Not only is God faithful to keep His word, to provide escape, but He's also faithful to prosper our endeavors. You know, God's good to us, and He allows us to have successes in our life. In 1 Thessalonians 5.24, turn there if you would. We're going to look at this verse, and man, it's a great little verse. It's not very long at all. But it's one of uh, those verses that for years I just held on to and I held on to and I held on to. I just had to trust that His Word was true, that He's keeping His promises. Look what He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is He that calleth you. Who's the one that does this calling? whether it's to the ministry, whether it's to a Sunday school class, whether it's involved in just your ministry and so on. I mean, he's, his word is very clear on what he wants us to do, what his will is for us. He calls us to, the, to, to a position in Christ and just to the wonderful opportunity of service. Faithful is he that called you who also will do it. He's going to do it. He calls us to be separated from the world. He'll do it if we'll let him. He'll do it. If he calls us, he'll equip us to accomplish the job. He doesn't ask us to do anything that we're not able to do. If he tells us to give, he'll enable us to give. He will never tell us to do something that we can't do. If he tells us to grow in our Christian life, and he does then He'll enable us to grow in our Christian life. He never asks us to do anything that He doesn't equip us to do. Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. Missionary statesman Hudson Taylor, he had complete trust in God's faithfulness. I mean, he had been on the mission field. He had been concerned about the souls of mankind. And in his journal, he made this statement, Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. He knows very well that His children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect He will send three million missionaries to China. But if He did... He'd have ample means to sustain them all. Depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Isn't that great? I mean, here's this missionary in China. You've got to understand that there weren't even roads through China at that point. And at one point, people were trying, they were trying to get men to volunteer to go over to China. And they were saying, well, when the roads are built, we'll come over. Are there ways into China? And basically, this missionary said to them, listen, if you need roads to come to China, you might as well stay home, basically. 
Just stay home. If you're not prepared to cut a road yourself, to create a path yourself, then just stay home. I'm not asking people to come over here to have an easy road. It's going to be a hard road, and it's going to be, but it's going to be God-ordained and God-blessed. Man, here was a man of God that believed in the hand of God, believed in the provision of God. And he knew in his heart of hearts that God would be faithful to prosper his endeavors. We have hope today. We serve a faithful God. He is faithful to keep His word. He's faithful to provide escape. And He is faithful to prosper our endeavors. If you're serious about your relationship with Christ, I promise you, God is serious about it too. If you're serious about making your marriage the best biblical marriage it can possibly be, the most sturdy and strong marriage it can possibly be with God's help, I promise you God is concerned about making it that as well. I understand. I understand it takes two to tango. I get that. But if your spouse is sitting beside you tonight, let me tell you something. There is no excuse in this world why you can't make it work if you want it to work. Not only make it work, because I'm not a fan of making things work. I'm a fan of enjoying things that God gives us. I want it to be full. I want it to abound. If you're serious about raising an offspring that honors Christ, then I want you to know God is serious about that too. Oh, you're going to have your bumps and bruises. You're going to have your ups and downs for sure. But you serve a faithful God. He's faithful to keep His word. Faithful to provide escape. He's faithful to prosper our endeavors. Give Him your best. Be faithful to Him because we know He is faithful to us. Father, we come to You. I want to thank You, Lord, just for the simplicity of Your Word and 